for Gene Shepard, humorist, after-dinner speaker, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976. just basically sound like a guy who knows how to fix transmissions? I mean, can you imagine Johnny Carson getting a letter like that? Dear Johnny, can you rebuild a carburetor? <laughs> you know, it's a kind of compliment. You're right, kid. I do know about transmissions. Kid had a good eye there, a good ear. Listen, I'll tell you, uh, uh, there are just two kinds of males, really, basically, in this world. There's the males that can fix cars, and then there's the guys, the other ones who can't even drive them. So uh, when I was about seven years old, from about that time on, I was introduced into the world of uh, fixing cars. But uh, do you remember a couple of seasons ago they used to have these garages around here where you could take your car in and actually do your own work? And, you, you know, they give you the tools and all that kind of stuff. Well, do they still have those? I guess a lot of people discovered that fixing a car takes a little more than the tools. <laughs> At five minutes of instruction from a kid in a white uh, pair of coveralls. Oh, listen. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, at one point, one of my, uh, really, one of my uh, little unsung achievements, and everybody has little achievements that he has achieved in his life he doesn't tell anybody else about because he knows nobody will understand how great it was to achieve this. It's like, uh, for example, one of my secret uh, uh, gratifications in the world where there aren't many gratifications is that I really know how to send and receive CW code. I, and that is an achievement. I really can. I mean, I, I could sit out there. One of my favorite things is to watch old submarine movies and old uh, you know, movies where you see the guy sitting at the key and all that and to listen to what he's really sending as opposed to what the Yahoo is sitting out there think he's sending. Yeah, a lot of times you'll hear this sudden burst of code, and uh, you send about three letters like LMD, and the guy will turn and says, They're sinking off the big reef! 
Charles is sick and he's got appendicitis. You say, well, how the hell did they get all that out of that? They must be sending three-letter coded groups or something. I don't know. But <laughs> on the other hand, I remember watching one film one night where the guy said a most fantastic statement on code. And it was supposed to be something like uh, he was sending the position of the ship was sinking. And actually, he sent a very funny, one-line, unbelievably funny gag for the situation. Vaguely obscene, I might add. And it went right past the censors. So uh, there's a lot you can know, and if you really know a few things. And, and one, of my favorite, one of my favorite moments is to watch, uh, say, uh, Chris Schenkel trying to explain what's going on down in the pit. When he's uh, covering the Daytona 500, you know, yeah, taking that thing off the front there, and uh, <laughs> and I, one of my basic great moments of uh, of uh, secret satisfaction, if the truth were out, is you're listening to one of the best fuel pump men you ever are going to run into in this world. Now, if if any of you have ever had fuel pump problem, you know that fuel pump problems can be as irritating and as long-lived and as difficult to get rid of as a really good case of cold sores. And there's been many a romance completely killed by a, a cold sore at the wrong time. I know for a fact. So I'm just going to tell you that, uh, that if you have fuel pump problems, you've got problems that are nagging and irritating. Because like many uh, curious problems of the human body, they have various symptoms that are not necessarily related to the actual disease, which is a fuel pump, right? So uh, I had a car one time. Of course, you see, to learn anything, it's all motivation. If you're thrown suddenly in the middle of an Italian fishing village with no English-speaking people for miles around, and you got to eat, as we all do, you would be surprised how, learn, how quickly you would learn Italian. You, you really would. Boy, two weeks after you're in that fishing village, you would be speaking it like, uh, you know, like uh, you, uh, you, you know, a, a real paisano, uh, a real paisan. And, and this, uh, this is motivation. Motivation is part and parcel of almost everything we do. And uh, if you have a car that you've got to fix or the car don't go, you'd be amazed how you learn how to fix cars. Absolutely. Now, uh, I had this car, see, I was about 16 when I began to uh, really get seriously into working on cars, really serious. And uh, I went, I was going to, I was going to buy a car, so actually I was just turned 16, so I was going to buy this car. Now in the state of Indiana, you could get a full driver's license by the time you were 16. Oh yes. Now the reason for this is that it's largely, there are many farms in Indiana, and since there are farms, kids who grow up on a farm have to work on a farm, so they have to learn how to drive the truck. They drive it into town and all that. So it's a whole different ballgame than a you know local New York scene. So a kid has to learn to drive early. And by the time I was 16, I didn't live on a farm, but everybody in Indiana could drive almost often quicker than he could walk. Uh, you could really drive a car. I can't remember not knowing how to drive. I mean, it was just the thing that you learned... Uh, just like uh, if you live on the sea, you learn how to sail. You don't take a course in it. You just, uh, it's all around you. You sail all the time and you sail. Well, as a driver, I learned to drive from, you know, almost instinctively. And every kind of vehicle, every conceivable kind of vehicle, 
uh, ranging all the way from a uh, from a John Deere tractor uh, down to you name it. See, so I could drive these things. Well, there I am, I'm about sixteen. So I decided I was going to get my first car. Well, uh, now when you've only got sixty-five bucks to spend on your first car, you better be prepared to expend something else other than money. So uh, I went all over. Uh, I, I looked every place until finally I found, oh wow, if I had that car now, I wish I had that car now, I'm serious. If I had that automobile now, that car would be of incalculable worth on the collector's market. But, uh, I don't have it. <laughs> I did have it though, I'll tell you. I'll give you an idea. There's a commercial on television now where this guy apparently goes around and looks at these great classic cars he's about to buy. He looks at various cars, and he finally decides on that great little convertible. You ever seen it? He brings it home, and they all drink iced tea or some damn thing around it. I don't know what it is they do, what they're pitching, but it's the cars that are great. Uh, what is that car? Okay. Well, I happen to have the hard-top version of that. Elegant little machine. Beautiful car. And I, 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 But it wasn't beautiful when I got it, I might have to tell you, that I got it in the junkyard. And, uh, yeah, well, that's, you know, that was very legitimate. Uh, see, I, because this is what you want to do. The whole idea of going down and buying a car at a dealer was completely off. It would be like if you're going to go out fishing, and instead of fishing, you go and buy yourself a largemouth bass. You know, at the largemouth bass store, and you bring it home. I mean, that's not the same. Cars, uh, to rebuild a car and to make it what it should be was, in essence, a sport. And it was a great achievement. So I went uh, from junkyard to junkyard looking at what they had. And finally, I spotted this car. It was a a business coupe. You know, a business coupe is a two-seater coupe. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, just what I wanted. And it was the guy, you know, guy come out, uh, mean-looking guy. Actually, it was George the Greek down at the down at. It, it, they called it the Greek junkyard, and he had a great big pile of batteries, which, by the way, later played a great role in my life because I went through all these used batteries one day, twelve thousand batteries, looking for one battery. He also had a big pile of of uh, generators. Have you ever gone on a generator hunt in a junkyard to find a generator for a specific car? Oh, listen, that's more exciting than going after the white whale. I mean, you have a better chance of getting a white whale. <laughs> and when you discover that, that uh, you know, there, uh, after digging through 12,000 uh, tons of generators, you finally come across the one generator you need. That's an indescribable thrill. And then to take it home and put it on the bench, and it has exactly the same problem as the one that you <laughs> are throwing out, which is why you wanted one in the first place. Well, that's another story. However, as a uh, as a car fixer, I got this car, see. Well, the first thing I had to do was, uh, uh, if you're really into cars, you don't mess around with the body. The first thing you do is, is uh, you yank the head, right? Well, me and Flick dragged this thing home with his old man's Buick. And we hooked it up, you know, we put a big uh, chain and a rope, and we just towed it home. See, and after a lot of argument, the guy, I remember George coming out, the, George the Greek coming out, you know, to, to make this deal. See, here's the car sitting there with a lot of other junk cars all around it. It was not a junk car. It was just a car that, let's put it this way, was temporarily retired due to decrepitude. Uh, however, it was basically a great car. It would be like if you were to find 
a rather battered Rembrandt. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's not up to uh, the Metropolitan Museum standards, but it is a Rembrandt. So uh, I'm uh, I'm you know going through the junkyard there, and I, I, the, all these cars are there, and I finally found the one exact, the one I wanted. See, there it was. I was sitting there amid all these cars. So I immediately, the first thing you do is never show George the Greek that you want it. No way. So, sure enough, I drag him out of his little shack, and we go down, and he, I, I cleverly steered him to a Pontiac. And I says, what about this Pontiac, Silver Streak Pontiac? And he looked at me, and he says, well, he says, that the car? You know, forget it. I says, why, George? He says, I am saving that for my brother-in-law. This is the best car on the lot. I said, George, that Silver Streak Pontiac, look, the differential is shot. It has no transmission at all, I can see. There's nothing in there. And you're saving it for your brother-in-law. This is about the, my brother-in-law. He collects the Silver Streak of Pontiacs. I said, George, you're impossible. I said, how much would you take for it? Say, I'm working on it. See, all the while I'm standing there, and behind the behind a pile of uh, old used uh, tires was uh, this, this, <laughs> this car that I really wanted. See? So finally... Uh, we argued around, and it's, uh, you know, he wants $200 for this car. He says, come on, it's in a junkyard. I can get one down at uh, Friendly Fred, the Hungry Armenians used car lot, for, and it's running for $200. What are you talking about? He says, oh, yeah, but this one. You know, so we finally work it around to the car that I wanted. I said, I can't, I can't cut that, buddy. And the Flick and Schwartz were all scurrying around, because we knew what we were looking for. So he said, finally, we got him around, and I pointed out the car. He says, well, what about that old junk? I mean, what the hell? You know, if I'll buy it for parts. You know, take it home and take the parts off. I swear, what do you offer? Well, that's dangerous. So I says, look, George, if you don't want to, if you don't want to talk, forget it, buddy. So I started to go. He says, all right, he says, I'll give it to you, a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks, almost double what I was going to give him. So I had sixty-five bananas. So uh, he says, uh, hundred bucks. I said, George, hundred bucks. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's happening to George. I think he's, his head is going soft. So we start to go out. Hey, so all right, all right, how about 75? I said, George, let's level. 50. He's 50, 50, 50. Why, I can get it for the for the motor alone. I could get 65 bucks anywhere. I said, George, why don't you get it then? He says, I will, I will. I don't need you. I don't need you. I says, okay, George. So I start to go. He says, oh, wait, 70. I said, George, I'll come up, 60. And there's a long pregnant pause. He says, look, kid, you come here all the time. Okay. I bought it for 60, right? Well, that gave me $5 to, you know, to spend on remodeling. <laughs> so at that point... I I, uh, I says to Flick, I says, okay, Flick, get your old man's car, we'll drag it home. So I gave him the 60 bucks, and uh, he gave me the sales slip for it. It was very difficult to get a to get a uh, to get a, a, a real registration on a junk car, I can tell you. So I had the sales slip, <laughs> and anyway, I know how to get the registration. Don't worry, I did it. So uh, we drag it home to the backyard. Now it is in the backyard. That began a saga which has never yet really left my soul.
You know, it's just like Ahab, you know. I'm sure that after, if Ahab had caught that white whale, and 40 years later you would ask him about that white whale, he'd say, oh, never again. Never again. Well, it was out in the backyard. <laughs> oh, should have heard my mother. She said, what is it? Look at that. Look at that junk. Why do you bring home that now that you bought this? When your father sees that? She didn't realize that the minute my father saw that, he went ape too. He would love to have had another one like that, see? So, uh, uh, you know, she always really assumed that everybody in the family liked grass except me. And actually, she was the only one that liked grass in the family. I mean, you know, grass that grows <laughs> and has little irises and stuff. Well, I, I, I dragged a car in the backyard, and, it, you know, it, it didn't look good, I'll admit. You know, it had been in a junkyard for about ten years at that point. So I took a hose out, and I just squirted the thing down with a hose, see? And I, I took, a, uh, you know, some of this uh, dishwashing soap, and I threw it all over, and I scrubbed the thing down, right, to get it clean, to get the, make it look a little better, seeing all the bird droppings and the weeds and junk come off of it. And there it was, you see, and it, was, it looked pretty good at that point. It was a it was a gleaming black. It was black and it had uh, it had a, a sort of a dark uh, dark yellow trim on it. It had, uh, lines on it. It was a nice looking little car, but it was it was a junk. Let's face it. So at that point, I yanked the hood off of it, and uh, we set to work. And uh, the first thing we did was flush out the carburetor. We got a jumper cable from Flick's car. <laughs> we, we, you know, we didn't have a battery yet for it. See, well, we were going to start this thing. See, with a jumper cable. So we got the jumper cable in there. We flushed out the carburetor, and uh, we we uh, took a couple of the hoses off and flushed them out. We flushed out the radiator and put some more water in this thing, and I put some gas in it. And at that point, we put the jumpers across, and I hit the button. I couldn't believe it. This thing, after being in the junkyard for 10 years, it just went, boom, it roared right off. Great big cloud of smoke, you know, accumulated carbon and and, uh, and uh, duck dung and everything else that it accumulated in this thing. It just blew it right out the pack, and it really sounded great. <laughs> and not only that, the the, uh, the oil pressure gauge went up and everything. Everything's working, I think. So at that point, you know, it was unbelievable, the victory. Well, it, uh, I, I rushed out, and we scrabbled around, got a battery for the car, got the tires, which, by the way, the tires were absolutely shot. But we were able to fix them, pretty much. We took the wheels off. We put patches on the... Uh, there were tires on it. See, we finally got this thing ready to go, and I drove it out, and it actually went after having greased this thing. And uh, we had it out for the first moment out there on that, that, that road, driving it around, and smoke coming out the back. I said, right away, i got to do a valve job. Uh, I saw that immediately. So I'm making a, a list in my mind of all the things I have to do. Valve job, I'm going to put a new set of rings in this baby. Go going to go out to the Pep Boys, Manny, Mo, and Jack, and uh, get myself the rings. And, uh, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. So I'm planning my whole life's work ahead of me. Well, this was the first day. And I'm driving this car around, just testing it out and getting everything set. And new kingpins immediately. This son of a gun shimmy, you couldn't believe it. In fact, this car with the key off, not moving, sitting out in the garage, would shimmy occasionally. I mean, the kingpin, you know. So, okay, going to put new kingpins on it. All right, uh, kingpins, uh, we're going to grind the valves, do a valve job. Probably, uh, it probably needs a couple of valves, probably pitted there. 
Uh, it seemed that the head was okay. It seemed that the block was okay. There was no crack in the block. There was no problem like that. But it was a lot of work, see. So I drive along, and I come to this light. And it's going... You know, it needs a valve job. But it's, it's, it's kicking out a lot of smoke and stuff, but it's working. You Stop. I hit the button. You know, it had a starter. It had a pull starter. Nothing. What the heck? Little did I realize I was beginning to... For the first moment, I was I was, I was having the first inkling of what was to, to plague me uh, for the, the three years that I owned this car. My first fuel pump had gone out. Now, let me tell you something about fuel pumps, gang. A fuel pump does not wear out. It does not go out gradually. For those of you who know about fuel pumps. A fuel pump either works or it doesn't. It's like pregnancy. You can't be half pregnant. And that is the case of the fuel pump. Well, I, I realize I'm getting no gas. See, it has to be in the fuel pump. So I rush into a phone booth and the traffic is behind me. I get Flick out. Flick comes. He pushes me back home. I say, i got to go down to Manny, Mo and Jack and get a fuel pump kit. It's a rebuilt kit, you know. So I rush down to Manny, Mo and Jack and I says, I want a fuel pump kit. And I tell them the model of the car. They come out with this great little kit, you see. For people who really work on cars, it has a has a gasket, a diaphragm, the whole business. It's a kit, you see. So I yanked the fuel pump. The fuel pump sat on top of the uh, on top of the head, <laughs> and I and I had a had a rod that came up through. You see, all, it came off the camshaft. So I yanked the fuel pump. I rush into the house and I carefully put together. I could see where it went bad. See, I take this fuel pump apart. Out comes the old gasket. Out comes the old diaphragm. And I had a spring in it and a sealant. I put it all back together again, clamped it out, stuck it back on the head of the car, hit the button. <laughs> Fantastic. It worked. But I did not realize, and for those of you who are into cars, you know exactly what I mean, certain cars have certain congenital ills. Now, what is a congenital ill? Well, it's an ill that hits this car time and time again because of the intrinsic design of that car. In other words, somebody in the Ford plant had designed a bummer of a fuel pump for this particular car, and this damn fuel pump went out all the time. Well, after about two weeks with my new fuel pump kit in there, it did it again. Well, that began the saga of Shepard and the fuel pump. And after I had finally gotten this car, it was a gorgeous little machine. Have you ever had a car in your life uh, as a as a as a yeah, as a car owner that you look back on with absolute, total, unalloyed, complete affection? A car you really loved. Well, this car, after after about a year and a half of work, I had done the valves. I had done the. I had. Uh, uh, Put in a new cylinder head, by the way, which I picked up down at George's. I had uh, I had uh, put in new rings. I had uh, replaced the generator. I had replaced the muffler. I had replaced the manifold. I put in new springs. And uh, you know, this is a, this is the kind of work that takes like a like a whole whole week of twenty four hour a day work to just do one job like this. And then I had repainted it. I repainted it with. 15 coats hand rubbed between each coat of gleaming black lacquer. It was gorgeous. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Beautiful car. 
And uh, the hardest job on it, car, well, because of a couple of problems, but one of the hardest jobs was to do the reupholstering, which uh, you don't go down and take it to the place and have them do it. You do it yourself. See, so I, I reupholstered this thing, learning as I went. And uh, but it was gorgeous, fantastic, and it had a it had a glove compartment, which was just a little glove compartment on the dash. But it was a. Uh, and I, by the way, I went out and got an original radio for this thing. Uh, yeah, you could, if you if you go to the right junkyard, you go through the junkyards. Uh, uh, there are certain people who know how exciting it is to go through a junkyard looking for a specific piece of gear. And uh, there was a radio. My, the radio was not in the car when I got it. And somebody had taken it out, and the radio in this particular car mounted right in the dash, and it had a round hole where the radio had been, and it was like a, the, the, uh, the meters. In fact, the, uh, the instrument gauges, like the, uh, the oil gauge, the ammeter, uh, the speedometer, all had matching dials. They were the same dials. And the radio dial matched those. The radio dial was exactly like... Uh, in the original radio, it looked exactly like the speedometer, same size, had the same kind of dial and everything, and a great little radio. So I, I had spent about a year looking for a radio, and I found one. And so the radio worked great. Uh, <laughs> you know, I had the knobs. Well, although there was one thing, fuel pumps, fuel pumps. You're listening to a guy that got so good I always carried two spare fuel pumps in my glove compartment. Now, uh, how do you know how to do this? Well, you know how to do this if you've got a car that has a fuel pump problem. And so I got to the point where I remember one day I have this date. I'm with this great-looking chick. We're going out, and I got her in this fantastic car. It's really gorgeous. And I'm all dressed up. One of the, one of the moments of, of true uh, Mako. <laughs> we pull up to the light. The light cha- goes red. We stop instantly. I knew when that fuel pump went out. I heard it. It stopped. I hopped out. It's just a minute. I reached in, take out the fuel pump out of the uh, out of the glove compartment, run around, open with the hood, zip, zip, bam, boom, bam. In goes the fuel pump. I changed the fuel pump on this car during the period of a red light. Got back in the car, flipped the switch, and drove on. Now, listen, any of you any of you out there who know about cars know that this is manual dexterity of a high order. And incidentally, it's the kind of thing that A.J. Foyt would, uh, would appreciate. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was getting to the point where, you know, I was doing this stuff with such speed and alacrity that I was really in the same class as, uh, say, an Indianapolis pit crew. Oh, but the greatest one of all, did I ever tell you about Flick and the Broken Axles? I'll tell you this. Flick had a Chevrolet that used to eat axles for breakfast. As a matter of fact, it ate axles the way most kids eat Fruit Loops. And uh, I remember the first time the axle broke. I'm riding along with Flick and a Chevy, and we're going along. I'm sitting in the, you know, the opposite. He's driving. We're coming up from school. All of a sudden, I said, Flick, I said, hey, Flick, look it. Somebody lost the tire. And there's this wheel rolling right down the middle of the road right next to us. Flick looked out. He says, that's my wheel. And... <laughs> We pulled over to the side. Three wheels. Flick had busted his first axle. Do you know that Flick got so good changing axles that he always carried two spare axles. He could pull the broken axle out, stick another axle in, put the wheel on, and we'd be gone five minutes. Five minutes. So the next time you see those commercials, you know, and it tells about the, you know, the Lee 
the Lee oil filter commercials. It says save money, fix your own oil, uh, put your own uh, put your own uh, uh, put your own filters on. Well, that's greasy kid stuff. Greasy. Is that uh, the theme playing now? Good. Uh, fine. I'd like to hear it. <laughs> Thank you, gang. So with the crowd out there, they'd like to know. So uh, I got to the point where, oh, you know, I, uh, stuff like uh, oil filters, you never even bother with that. I mean, that's the trouble when you get to be, you know, really a, really arrogant around a car. You don't do the little things that you should do. The big things. Oh, yeah. I mean, nothing made me happier than to hear the differential go bad. That meant a solid week of differential work. Oh, yeah. Listen to that. And uh, I... Uh, but I, I'll tell you the time, though, that uh, that Flick and I... Some night I'll have to tell you the story. The worst thing that we ever did. I mean, worse in the sense that it was like an unbelievable nightmare. We had gotten an old Model A chassis. You know, Model A. And we put a Buick straight 8 engine in it. If you think that ain't a job, if you, th- if you think that isn't an achievement, and if you think that isn't dangerous, well, don't applaud. It wasn't so great. I mean, because uh, just the mere touch of the accelerator on this thing, you could leave your, your, your listen, your back wheels would just uh, <laughs> could very well tear themselves up by the roots. But that's another story. We'll bring that out of it. For those of you who are fuel pump fans, you're listening to the best fuel pump man in the business. And, uh, you know, I always keep that in, uh, in mind in case the showbiz gets rocky. Ah, you're listening to a man that knows how to get them fuel pumps going. And ignition, that's my baby. And that's a tough problem. Ignition problems. Oh, that's a whole other chapter. You've been listening to Gene Shepard. Humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.